0: to a brief chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Monday. It's the 31st day of August 2020. That means about 10 shopping days until my birthday. But actually, rather than having you shop for my birthday, what I would prefer that you do is buy the stuff I already own. So <laughs> let's work out some way. How do we get like the reverse birthday thing where in- instead of getting me a gift, you just pick out something that already I have and you get it for yourself. Uh, we'll have to figure that out, I guess. Anyway, let's look back at this day in radical history via the Slingshot Collective Day Planner. From the bad news file, on this day in 1521, Cortez and his conquistador troops uh, were able to successfully take Tenochtitlan. On this day in 1968, from the better news file, grade school students in Quebec occupied their school demanding reforms. And again, that's not grad school, it's grade school. So it's not necessarily a new thing that uh, kids have known what's up and you know, have been taking action to make their lives better. Well, As a matter of fact, you know, if you look at other countries, France always pops to mind where, you know, university students are just regularly like shutting everything down. <laughs> and we do not have that culture here in the United States, but uh, it's getting better. It really is. It really is getting better. Uh, In the show notes for this episode or the description, if you're watching it on YouTube, will be a link to the video from the camping trip I took this past uh, weekend. I did my first overnight in the van, which was also my first ever solo camping trip of any kind. And uh, you'll find a link to the video there and give that a watch. If you would, you can also subscribe to the Vanarchism YouTube channel and you can subscribe to Vanarchism on Instagram. Uh, I do think that over time, a brief chat will get folded into the vanarchism thing and, you know, just kind of rebranded. And my guess is that it will be a mix of what I already do with um, maybe a weekly or something video that's specifically about life in the van. But I would imagine once I'm actually living in the van and, and, you know, moving around and that kind of thing that capturing the van life will almost be in some ways a byproduct of just making the show. Uh, You know, as I talk about whatever it is that I'm normally talking about, or interview guests, that kind of thing, that the fact that some amount of that is occurring in a van will just be, like, part of what happens. I was talking to a friend a couple days ago, and we were talking about uh, the climate crisis and how uh, the COVID crisis has really laid bare, uh, certainly in the United States, and you know I think in other places too, England and Italy and Brazil, has really laid bare the inefficacy of our current systems and their complete inability to deal with large-scale crises. And you know it's important to keep in mind that the the climate crisis is going to make COVID look like a uh, you know a splinter in your toe because it is so much larger than the pandemic and its effects are so much farther reaching. And, you know, we've shown, if anything, as uh, at least in the, I guess, what is referred to as the first world (laughs) fairly obnoxiously, we've shown an, an almost absolute lack of movement toward the kinds of change that are necessary to deal with the the climate crisis and now we've waited so long that in my opinion uh, it's too late um my friend was saying how she um she has a hard time imagining large-scale responses to the climate crisis and i was saying in response i think that's because those large-scale responses no longer really exist. Like, it's so... We've let so much time go by since this crisis was first spoken about in any real way, which I think was in the, about the 70s or so, late 60s, early 70s. And the the inaction of our governments has been coupled with... Oh, well, it's not just inaction. It's actually action in the wrong direction also. And that's coupled with the fact that those those governments and the people who make the decisions inside them receive such an amazing amount of money from the very companies who benefit from the things that are causing our planet to be destroyed, that now we've reached a point where it's very hard for me, it's not hard, it's in fact impossible for me to imagine a situation where there is a large enough scale... Reversal of course. Because remember, it's things like the Kyoto Accords and the Paris Agreement and that kind of stuff. Those things were never enough. If every country had signed on to them and done exactly what they said they were going to do, those things were never enough. And as it turned out, many of the countries did not do the things they said they were going to do. And others, including enormous polluters like our country, have recently divested ourselves from many of these agreements and so like try to picture in your mind a situation in which all of a sudden the governments of the largest polluters which include among them us and China are going to reverse course because it's not it's not just about limiting carbon emissions like we actually have to do things to immediately stop taking any more of that stuff out of the ground like like today (laughs) we would have to stop mining and drilling and all of that kind of stuff as well as like immediately changing the way the the energy sources on which our economies are built and how they run can you imagine that happening really can you imagine that happening because i cannot I, I cannot imagine that that will happen because there's just so much inherent corruption and financial gain for a few built into this system. And the nature of uh, in, in the countries that are big polluters that have representative democracies, the nature of those democracies is such that these kinds of changes essentially don't happen. And then in countries like China, who are. First of all, not representative democracies, but also at this very moment, they're trying to build themselves. Well, China has really succeeded at doing that, build themselves into massive industrial powers. There's no there's nothing in it for them. And I mean, obviously, you can say, well, staving off the destruction of the planet they're trying to be powerful in. <laughs> right. But nobody thinks that way at that level of government. We I mean, we have just seen that over and over again. And I'm using some broad generalizations here. I mean, there are little pockets of places where, you know, such and such a town has done this or, you know, whatever. But generally speaking, the major governments of the world are not taking the right kind of action. And most of the corporations, you know, even even in the US where and I may be wrong about this now, I'm not exactly sure now, but for a long, long, long time, um, the United States government had the power to withdraw corporate charters. And we just, you know, we don't do things like that. We didn't cause major oil corporations to cease existing. We might have broken some of them up into smaller companies. But those all of those companies, you know, those companies that decry regulation and that kind of thing are larger now than they've ever been. They're more profitable now than they've ever been. They are, in many cases, the most profitable institutions that have ever existed on the planet Earth in the history of the human species. And I just I cannot fathom a a move back in the other direction. And so what I was saying to my friend was that is why I come back again and again and again to this idea of small intentional communities of mutual aid. Because I really think, given that I think it's too late to make the kind of large-scale change that could maybe stave off what's coming, I think now we have to deal with how do we build at the level of the people we can see and touch and the places we actually are in, how do we build systems that will be able to survive after all of the stuff we currently depend on breaks down? I think there's a reasonable chance that will be a practical question in my lifetime if I live you know, to the average life expectancy of an American male, well, white male. Um, then I'll probably be around for maybe 30 more years or so. And if I'm longer lived, I might be around for 40 or 50 years. I might be dead this afternoon, but I mean, I'm just saying. And if I'm around for 30 more years, then I think I will see a time when at at the really local level, like at the community level, we are dealing with the collapse of our civilization as it currently exists i mean we're already dealing with it in a, in a lot of ways right um we just we just don't often attribute the small collapses to the overall big collapse you know oh our healthcare system is crumbling or oh food distribution is not happening or oh there's a lot of lakes and rivers you can't go in anymore or you know that kind of thing well, okay, let's deal with this particular problem becomes our way of thinking because if you start to like pull back in the camera shot, you realize that all of these things are connected in this massive collapse. And actually, even talking this way makes me feel a little wacky and um, I don't want to sound like a doomsday prepper. But (laughs) I do think we have to start thinking about how do we start restructuring the parts of our world we could actually reach out and touch. And I think that I'll have more to say about this, I think, in the days ahead. But, for example, when I look at my own decisions in terms of how I'm going to live, that seems like one possible viable way. Now, obviously, the vehicle I'll be driving uses fossil fuels, um, but it can just be parked. And there are already little communities of these kinds of people forming, you know, like these kind of minimalist van life people. And there are other kinds of communities like that in places that are that are starting to deal with, you know, how do we grow food that we can all share? Um, How do we make the things we absolutely need to operate run on something other than a thing we have to drill out of the ground and burn? I don't really believe, I guess, I don't really believe in wishing for unlikely outcomes. If tomorrow a super genius invents a non-polluting energy source that runs forever, awesome. If tomorrow an alien spaceship lands on Earth and they say, you know, we've just been flying around the galaxy giving this non-polluting, eternally functional technology to planets so that they don't destroy themselves. Cool. However, if the aliens said, but our one condition is you have to stop killing each other, then we'd be done. Right? We have shown no willingness to do the right thing for each other. People won't even wear masks, for God's sake. So, small intentional communities and mutual aid, I think, is where it's at. And... I mean, I've got a lot more of thinking to do about exactly what that looks like in my own life, but it just really feels like kind of what we're at, where we're, where we're at, what we're down to at this point, because I don't see the miracle coming. I really, I really don't. This is not what I was planning to talk about today. I just kind of came out. Um, and as a matter of fact, I recorded this show twice because the first time I forgot to turn the microphone off and the first show is about something totally different, but I was kind of feeling this topic, <laughs> so I was kind of happy that the mic was off. Uh, thank you so much for listening slash watching. You can check out the camping video in the show notes of this show. Uh, if you'd like to become a member and support what I do, that means the world to me. And you can do that at abriefchat.com or you can go directly to patreon.com slash abriefchat. I love you. A better world is possible, at least at the local level. <laughs> but we have a lot of work to do.